This is an ABC podcast. Midnight madness in Melbourne. Oh, these rallies. Wow. Ridiculous. What a shot. Just when you think you have seen it all. Welcome to the ABC Tennis Podcast. Catherine Murphy here at Rod Labour Arena with John Alexander and John Millman. We are looking down on the court where last night Aussie Alex Dimonor bowed out of the tournament in a five-set epic. We will be breaking down his Australian Open campaign and what went wrong last night. Meanwhile, in the women's reigning champion and US Open champion, they continue to breeze through the draw. They could meet in a potential semi-final. And John Millman to cheer us all up, because let's be real, is going to do a party trick later in the podcast. I don't know what it is, but I've been told it's so impressive that we have to leave it right to the end. J.A., John, how are you this morning? I'm fantastic. How are you, J.A.? Well, yeah, good for waiting age. <laughs> I, I am a little bit sad. I am, I'm a little bit sad, and I know we're going to get to it, but my good friend Alex Dimonar, he looked so upset, and I was sad for him. He was he left it all out there. Yeah, he was shattered, wasn't he? It, it's a, it was a sad sad night for I, an Australian tennis fan. I can't get the image out of my head. If you'd gone to bed straight after the match ended, you wouldn't have seen Alex Dimonor in the locker room, and Katie Bolter comes up to him, his girlfriend, who's an amazing tennis player from the UK. She gave him a big hug, and he just pulled a towel over his head on the bike. And it broke my heart because Alex is such a good guy. I think that's why Aussies love him so much, J.A., that you can really connect with him as a fan. And we just hate seeing him so devastated. Yeah, well, it brings it home that these guys, more than anything else, put an awful lot in it. They, they invest their, their their physical effort, their mental effort, their emotional effort. And, and when you get beaten, it is... Are really tough sometimes, and last night, and carrying the expectation of the country, and that burden, yeah, you know, maybe they let him down. That's the uh, the hard part, probably. And he didn't, because, like you say, absolutely carrying the weight of the nation. But for those of us that watch tennis year round, I'm urging caution all day yesterday. This is the world number 10. He's only just broken in to the top 10, taking on a guy who's world number five, who's trying to qualify for his 10th quarter final. I was saying, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but Alex is not the favorite to win this match, but he believed he could win it. And that's why we love Alex. He demanded Rod Laver Arena with Rod Laver in the house that was the bit that got me, that he got his time and he deserved it. Yeah, I think for the casual tennis fan in Australia, it's only on our television screens for one month a year. And I, I'm unsure if people realise how good Andre Rublev is. He's been established top 10 player for many, many years now. He's won big titles. He has a really dangerous game. And when he's firing on all cylinders, which he is most weeks... He is incredibly difficult to beat, especially in those conditions where it's a little bit cooler. That night match, not many people can get that penetration through the court. And I thought Alex had nearly done enough to kind of weather that storm. It looked like physically Andre Rublev was was pretty busted. It looked like 
Alex had worn him down like he does to so many players. Um, but, but, you know, like you touched on, Catherine, he's number five in the world for a reason. He is a damn good tennis player. And with, with every loss, you know, he can put that into the bank of experience, draw interest, learn, and come back and make a better effort. Because if you actually look at Alex's career, it's been very solid, very sustained progress. It's not flashy. It's hard won. It's hard earned. There's a very, very strong foundation. I think if he can look back in a couple of days and say, well, I've actually made, had a good summer. I've got a good start to the year. I'm still making progress. And there's areas to work on. I mean, the area was... And it's one of these things, he, he's going for too big a serve and leaving himself vulnerable to the number of second serves he was giving to Andre to, to, to attack. And that had a, had a you know, maybe it was the balance of, uh, uh, made the difference over that five sets. And he just over, over served too much. And should, one of the tricks getting a high percentage of first serves in is that you put a 75 percenter in most of the time. You don't go for the big one every single time, especially with you know, Alex's physical size and power on serve. And he acknowledged it was an issue. Have a listen. Well, to be honest, I, I, I think probably a couple of things let me down today. My serve was probably one of them. Uh, I just was not finding first serves. And, and you know, in those crucial moments, uh, I was allowing him to, yeah, giving him too many second serves and he was able to just swing freely. Um, but no, because I felt great. I thought, you know, we were going to go into the fifth set and I was going to be able to expose him physically. But, you know, I, I played a couple average points in the first game and he played two really good points and all of a sudden... Um, I'm behind the eight ball and I was playing catch-up and, yeah, he just let loose. Two major things I want to pick up from that one grab. And I love how honest Alex is. Thank you, Alex, for giving us an insight into your game because that's the stuff we love, right? We watch it, but we want to hear that exact detail from him, the serve. I see a lot of upside here. We're talking about Alex Demonor not serving well, but almost beating the world number five on Rod Laver Arena. Yeah, I think he could have been an easy four-set winner if he'd got his serve in 65 70% of the time and varied it more and reduced the exposure. And then when you're getting a higher percentage of first serves in, on those big points, you're more confident of getting the first ball in, whereas... When you're down at one stage, there's 39% of first serves in. So, you know, you get a big point, and then he goes for the big one on the big point, and so he's probably at about a 25% chance uh, under those circumstances, which is just not playing the percentages. I love his confidence. What he just said then, I thought I could expose him physically. I love to hear that. Now, I need you to explain to me what happened in that fifth set because he did expose him physically. Andre Rublev was struggling so badly that his team are on the side of the court pouring sachets of salt that you would see in any canteen into his water bottle. I'm talking about those little white paper sachets of salt that Lauren and I, our producer, we had a burger and chips. It's like they lifted up those leftover sachets and we're putting them in a bottle. Have we not moved on in a sports science sense, John? Is there not some other way to get sodium in that's maybe more soluble? 
Not that I know. There's a bit of pickle juice that you can have, which is another Tell us about old that. school uh, method. Well, pickle juice, uh, the names in its, uh, you know, the, the hints in its title. Uh, it's disgusting and it tastes like pickle juice. Did you drink it? No, I didn't. But cramping wasn't normally such an issue for me. I did the salt path when I felt like it was starting to get physical and I was starting to feel those... Just those little tinges of cramp, you know, a little tweak, the muscle just tightening up, contracting for a yeah. second. Well, Rafter had a lot of trouble with cramp and he was diagnosed as a low in potassium and so then they started eating bananas. And Rublev was eating a banana during the, the changes yep. uh, last night. So he might have been aware of it even earlier or it's a regular condition that he's got to protect against. But it was interesting because, as Catherine made mention, on the side of the court there, about four of his team members were all opening up these salt sachets and there was a lot of salt going into to that. And you could tell physically he was struggling. I thought he was favouring one leg. I thought he was cramping in, in one leg for sure. I think it was his right leg from memory. And he, had, he, he then had to go in with the mentality, which is extremely hard to wrap my head around it because it feels as if his plan A game is to hit the cover off the ball. And his plan B game, when he's in a lot of trouble, is to hit the cover off even harder, which is really hard to wrap my head around because I've played him at his plan A game. And I'm telling you, that ball, like, a ball's worst enemy is Andre Rublev because he <laughs> absolutely smokes it. And that's what he did. He threw hell for leather. He said in the fifth set, I don't want to have any rallies that go on, be, uh, on longer than, than two or three shots. And it was really crucial, and Alex touched on it. It was really crucial, that start. He needed to get scoreboard pressure. He needed to keep his nose in front. And eventually, under pressure, it's really hard to land when, you, when you're trying to redline. It's really hard to land. But with the wind in his sails and the confidence up, he could swing even more freely. He could throw caution to the wind, and that's what happened. And that's why we saw that score. It wasn't because Alex was struggling physically. It was actually because Andre was struggling. I just don't know how he does that, though, because when he started to struggle, I think Alex's box saw it before Alex and Leighton Hewitt was like, he's got to move him. He's got to start moving him. But Alex was on the other side of the court. Maybe had Alex realised sooner? No, no, no. Alex would pick that up. You pick that up straight away. The most challenging thing is here, and, and I don't know if this is what Alex felt. I haven't spoken to him, understandably, since his loss. I sent him a message this morning, and I'll hear from him later today. But sometimes you can almost go a little bit in your shell, a little bit passive. You know the other person's struggling a little bit. Okay, let's just make the ball. We'll try to spread it, but this guy can't just hit winners right now. He is struggling. And sometimes that can actually throw you off your game. I thought the points at Alex's end became slightly less physical because you are a little bit wary of what your opponent's doing. The, the wounded animal made you a little bit wary and maybe just threw you off your game just slightly. But it really didn't help. And like Alex said, it didn't help that he just got off to a slow start. A couple of cheap errors early. And Andre can be really dangerous when, you know, he's up in the scoreline. It's very hard to play against a, a mm. cramping player because you've got to make the decision, well, do I ease off and just try to make him move? in which case you're giving them the chance to whack the ball. There was a, an Australian final between John Lloyd, the Englishman, and uh, Vetus Gerolaitis. Vetus cramped unbelievably. 
Lloyd only had one game, that was to go for broke. And all of a sudden it was this idea, well, maybe I don't have to go for broke. And he didn't have the capacity just to keep the ball in play and make Vetus run. Vetus, you know, really cramped up, ended up winning the match. We saw it with Michael Chang. Yes. Yeah, at the yeah. French Open. Yeah. Yeah. When he went on to win it, he was cramping badly. He had to do a few underarm serves. Sometimes it can really affect the mentality of the player. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily the case with Alex, but it did look as if, you know, he was in potentially two minds. Meanwhile, the subplot with Andre Rublev, for anyone who watches him year-round, he really struggles with his self-talk. He's done anger management treatment. He uh, literally, you hear about racket abuse, where they bang the racket off the court. He has been known to hit himself with his racket. It's a constant battle. Shout out to the Aussie fans who could see him teetering on the edge and they tried to push him over the edge for Alex. Afterwards, in the post-match interview, when he was asked, what's it like being in your head? He said, it's like a scary movie. Our friends on the AO Show podcast chatted to him after the match. You described that match as like a scary movie inside mm -hmm. your head. What made it so scary? Uh, because I had crazy thoughts in my head. That's why. So you don't want to, you don't want to be inside had these moments in my head. What were some of the scenes that were playing out for you? Everything from feeling uh, angry and pissed uh, uh, to myself and wanted to destroy everything to feeling uh, sad about myself, like, oh, it's too difficult. You're getting tired, uh, you're trying and you cannot, oh, it's okay. Uh, so to those emotions, then opposite again, like uh, to things like what I'm thinking, how I can think like that. Uh, you're gonna die uh, and or you're gonna die or you find a way to change your energy, change the game and uh, or better to die. So to those emotions, then, I don't know, somehow appears one stupid comedy American movie to my head when I did with a ton uh, from, uh, you know, this um, comedy movie, scary movie. Scary movie. For the first part when they were doing, what the yeah. So, I don't know. At the, so, I don't know how. I'm really glad I'm not in Andre Rublev's head. There he was speaking to the official podcast of the Australian Open, the AO show, also on court afterwards, J.A., he said when they asked, you've got Yannick Sinner next, he pretty much admitted he's going to lose. He said, oh, I'm in trouble. Well, he's got a good positive attitude. He said, I'm definitely <laughs> going to lose, and, uh, but uh, he'll change his mind. He needs to get with Adrian Manorino and have a couple of tequilas just to put this behind him, to clear his mind. He needs to listen to that veteran Frenchman who's got such a beautiful attitude towards the game. And we're going to get to like that shortly uh, because I'm afraid the tequila did not work Well, yesterday. it did. It might have worked. Oh, actually... He seems to be having a good time still. He was enjoying the moment, which I actually really respect because that would have been... I know we're getting to it, Catherine. Yeah, I'm jumping no, ahead. no, go for it. No, I just... That is a really... Regardless whether you're in the fourth round or not, that is a lonely place to be when one of the greatest players in the history of the game is giving you an absolute smackdown. You want to dig yourself in a hole and just bury yourself in there. And he's down six love, six love, and he's on the sideline having a laugh. He's looking up at his box going, 
Probably should have had a couple more glasses. <laughs> have you, have you got any like, advice yeah. for me? Have you got Forget sachets. For <laughs> Forget sachets of salt. There's got to be sachets of tequila mid-match. And in case the listeners haven't seen that one, poor Adrian Manorino. He went down to Novak Djokovic, as you just heard. Double bagel to begin with. Six love, six love. He was going so badly that the crowd cheered when he managed to win a game. And it ended up being 6-3 in the third. We'll come back to that shortly, just before we finish on Alex Demonor. One of the joys last night of watching Alex Demonor was watching other people watch him for the first time. So we're lucky enough that we watch him live all the time. We know how quick he is. We know the balls he can get to. So there were times where the ball would just drop over the net and the audience would sit back and think the rally was over. We know he always gets there. The difference I feel with Alex Demonor now is not only is he getting to those balls, he is taking the rally and he's putting it on his own terms. Is that the biggest change in him for you two? And is he the most improved player on the tour this year? So far. Oh, I've always been weary of Alex's movement. Uh, I've hit with him that many times and it's so hard, frustratingly hard to get a ball past him. I think a lot of that feel and that comes a little bit from padel tennis that he plays in Spain. He plays a fair bit of that paddle. And Did you just do the people, Spanish accent padel, for padel? Well, some people call it padel, some oh. people call it paddle. I'm not sure which one we're going with. He's a man ABC. of the world. I mean. You are so what do we call so it cultured. At ABC, yeah. at ABC, what do we think call we, it? I think we call it paddle, but we're open to you changing that because you're your so accent, cultured. Your accent wouldn't be able to get padel out. <laughs> So that's it's like Cadell. That's Evan. why we're going. Go. So, no, but he does play a lot of that. And, and you can see that with his feel. He, he has always had really good feel, but he is one of the, the fastest players on tour. I think he's made, he's made some improvements to his game. He didn't serve as well, but he's definitely beefed that area up. His backhand slice in particular, I think, is a weapon that he might have even been able to use a little bit more last night, but he's definitely incorporating that a lot more to his game. And... Hitting with him, he's starting to to really be able to shape the forehand off the court, which I think are three really big improvements. Um, the biggest thing I see in the last six months is his belief. And I think that that is making him a really fast, improving player. What's done that? What's wins, changed? Wins against the top, top players. He's always had plenty of wins against guys his rank or below, but it's those top, high-ranked players that every now and again he's just pulled up a little bit short. But... In the last six months, he beat Medvedev at the Paris Masters indoors. I mean, that was a massive win for him. We saw him at the United Cup getting wins over your Zverevs and your Djokovic's and your Fritz in consecutive days too, in consecutive matches. And that really builds up that confidence and builds up that belief. And, and I can tell you, that's half the battle. That was half the battle for me. Uh, I had to have that, you know, believe in yourself, um, be kind to yourself on your racket. Um, because you spend so much time doubting, doubting your abilities and your game. Um, and sometimes, you know, your biggest fan actually has to be yourself. And I think he's starting to, to get that belief. And, and, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for Australian tennis. He's becoming a more complete player and he's playing with more purpose. So when you say that, you know, he gets up to the drop shot, but then he does something with it, it's, it's a strategic move that I know when I get up to the drop shot, I've got to play down the line so I'm covering the court. If I'm going across court, it has to be a winner. 
otherwise I'm exposed the entire court and I'll get beaten. So he's thinking, you know, one shot ahead. He's thinking in combinations of shots. You can be a person who hits tennis balls or you can be a person who plays tennis. And Alex is becoming a very complete tennis player, like Ash Barty, very complete tennis player. I'm going to put you both under pressure. He's made one quarterfinal at a Grand Slam. It was at the US Open in 2020. When and where does he next make a quarterfinal at a slam? I'm saying Wimbledon. Uh, he has shown a lot of form on the grass before. He went and won uh, Eastbourne leading up. And I think that he's underachieved at Wimbledon. I'll tell you why he's good at Wimbledon. Gone are the days where... You know, you serve volley the whole time. We all know that, you know, tennis has changed and Wimbledon slowed down. We've already touched on that on purpose. They've done that. But he is an incredible mover on grass. And I think that's half the battle on that surface. Now, on the Roland Garros courts, I, I, I don't think he's at his most effective there. I think the ball gets up a little too quickly and it gets out of that strike zone a little too easy for on him. But at Wimbledon, really hard to... He should have been already a, a quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Um, I remember him losing in the round of 16, I think, to Christian Garin a couple of years ago, and that was really a racket that he, a game that he had on his racket. But I think it's Wimbledon this year, and I think it's at least quarterfinals. Can he win a Grand Slam? Oh, definitely. I'm not sure if it's in 2024, but I think he can. I think he's top 10. I think we will see. I think the challenging thing is to break down those barriers in men's tennis. Um, and be open to other people winning Grand Slams. Now, we've seen Carlos Alcaraz do it, but for such a long period of time, it was dominated by three players. It was dominated by Novak, Rafa, and Roger. Um, every now and again, you'd get someone who played freakish tennis during the week, Wawrinka, who I think is still yep. crazily underrated in world tennis. Yep. The guy's won three Grand Slams. Um, Andy Murray would sneak in there, but... Did Chilich sneak a grand Cilic, slam? Ch Cilic yeah. did. One, uh, Dominic Team, Del Potro. But it's only these one-offs, generally speaking, for so long. We're talking the last 15 years, it's been dominated men's tennis by just three players. So I think we've got this idea that in our heads that oh, it's just impossible for a yeah. person who's 10 in the world to go and win a grand slam. Yeah. We've got this misconception created, but... I think it's we're we're not too far off in the distant future in the near distant future that that other people are going to win grand slams and if you're top ten in the world I think it's going to be now become a possibility again that these guys can go through and win them. Absolutely, I mean it's changing. Uh, that Novak is a stubborn guy and he's not going to give it up easily and he had his best year last year. But you've got to look forward to this year when you look how well Sinner is playing, Alcaraz is playing, uh, Runa didn't do his best here. Alex is going to be the guy that's always there and competing and if uh, certain players lose, he's going to be there to, to, to collect the bouquet. So he's going to be in the money for quite a long period of time. He's a great competitor and he handles things very well. And you know what breaks down, you know, the, the aura of coming up against Novak. Now, he's a different beast in best of five set tennis, but the fact that he is finally starting to lose a few of these matches. Now, I might have egg on my face because he probably, he, he was my pick of the tournament and he still is. He'll probably go through and win this one. But And I'm staying with Sinner. Thank you. But every now and again, he is starting to lose to a couple of these players. So they get a bit of belief. No longer are they walking on the court going, I have zero chance against this guy because he is just so good. They're walking on the court going, okay, I have beaten him before. Things have to go right for me. I have to play very well. And maybe he has to be a little bit off on, on his day, but that could be today.
Yet yesterday, Novak Djokovic walked on the court against an opponent who may have not even known he was playing him. It was Adrian Manorino. He doesn't like to know his opponent. He likes to drink tequila. And Novak was going so well that he wanted to lose a game. Have a listen. The tension in the third set, you know, uh, it was it was so big, you know, whether he's going to win a, a game or not, and crowd wanted him to win the game and be in the match. So I almost felt like, you know, it's it's good to give away the game, you know, so just to just to be able to reset and refocus, you know, because the tension is growing as, as you know, more uh, match progresses without him winning a game. Uh, I think, you know, of course it's tough for him, but also for me to be able to, to kind of not think about that, not think about the triple bagel. Is it disrespectful to his opponent to have said that? No, I think we, 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 we want people to be honest. I mean, it's, it's a really hard position to be in because it's, it's, it's a lose-lose because he could give the, the stock standard answer and we'd go, oh, Novak's trying to suck up, he's, he's boring. Or he could be honest and say, yeah, look, there was a lot of tension out there. Yeah, I wanted to give him a game I felt bad for. Yeah, I heard a different interview and he didn't say give away the game. He said he was somewhat relieved when he won a game because there was so much tension building and he actually you know, accepted it and then you know, reset and you know, it was competitive third set and it was good. Um, so I think you know, sometimes, you know, it's not his first language. He's very proficient in English and no doubt about it. He chooses his words unbelievably well. He made a little slip up there. I don't think that's what he intended to, to mean. I think it is because I watch his press conferences a lot and his interviews and J.A., I feel like since Roger and Rafa have been away and we hope to see Rafa back as soon as possible, he's changed his language. He doesn't have to be as respectful of these other two living icons. Now he's either got kids he's playing against or guys who drink tequila and don't even prep for their match. And I mean that respectfully to Adrian Manorino. I think he's doing it purposely, J.A., to intimidate. Yeah, well, no, a lot of his language leading up to the Australian was very bullish and uh, unusual for leading players because normally they go into tournaments and they're quite humble and, and respectful of all opponents. But he was, you know, sort of over the top, you know, I'm the greatest of all time and, you know, here I am to win it again sort of thing. And Yeah, but he's the greatest player in history. He's the greatest player in history. I think he has earned the right to say whatever he Agreed. wants. And he's he has every right to go out there and be confident and, and, and show this bravado because the stats don't lie. And I know that he's playing in the open era and some people didn't have the chance to win, notch up all those grand slams because the open era only started. You'd be able to tell me the exact date, 19... 1968. 68, there we go. <laughs> with, the, with, the French, with the French championships. So it's just like having an encyclopedic but, but, knowledge uh, just right here. It's yes. fantastic. For, for Instead instance, of Google, I just uh, I, tap I, you on the shoulder, J.A. <laughs> I think Ken Rosewell might have won you know, two or three Australians, but he missed 11. So you know, how many could, mm. could have he won? Yeah, look, and, and so I, I, I hate getting into that debate because I actually have so much respect for our former generations. Agreed. But, I mean, he, he is potentially the greatest player of all time go out there say what you want be bullish be cocky be confident 
He's I one agree. of the greatest, not just the greatest tennis players, he's one of the greatest athletes of and, all time. And what's more, he's he's talked about going for the Golden Grand Slam this year, which is only, yeah. well, Steffi Graf's the only player in the history ever to do that, which is to win the Grand Slam and the gold medal at the Olympics in the same year. So he's set a mm. target of things to do, aim high and you won't fall low. I mean, it is extraordinary that, at, you know, he'll be 37 by the end of the year. My math's unbelievable. Isn't it? <laughs> unbelievable. Um, that, you know, he can be... Mm. You know, challenging himself and so enthusiastic about the future, uh, the, the I, upcoming season. I think because of the history of tennis, and you know, it's a gentleman's game, going back way back. I think uh, there's this uh, unwritten rule that apparently everyone's meant to be prim and proper. Whereas, if someone was talking with that type of confidence in the NBA in basketball, we yep. hear Michael Jordan. I love that documentary. Yeah. On Michael Jordan, I mean, there was this air of arrogance about him, and and. Novak's not even going close to speaking like a Jordan yet. He should be up there with the Michael Jordans of the world or the Tiger Woodses of the world. Yeah. You know, why not? We, we, why not show that confidence? He, he really is that good. I agree. If I was in his shoes, I would go even harder against the kids. I'd be in the locker room going, hey, honey, do you need your nappy changed? Are you good today? <laughs> See you later on court. So I'm all for that. Let's move it on to the women's draw. You two, you see, you are gents. The women's draw, okay, our favourite, Mira Andreva. She's out. She lost to Barbora Krejcikova in three sets. She's a superstar, 16 years of age. Can't wait to keep watching her as the season progresses. Meanwhile, Coco Goff and Arena Sabalenka, they continue to go through the draw. They're through to the quarterfinals without even dropping a set. You picked Arena Sabalenka. We picked players to win that are now out of the tournament in Rybakina and Iga Sviantec. Are you sicking with Sabalenka over Coco Goff, J.A.? I know you'll stick, but are you just as confident as you were pre-tournament? Um, look, the confidence level is, you know, it's a tough decision because you, know, you don't really have great conviction, but this your best choice. Uh, after yesterday's match, there was a number of people who said Coco Goff is the hottest player in the world. And uh, she was quite magnificent yesterday, but so was Arena. And uh, that's uh, going to line up as a possible semi-final. And that's one of the funny things with Grand Slam events. Sometimes the best matches, you know, the real finals happen in the quarterfinals or the semi-finals. And sometimes that match is so debilitating then they're not at their best for the final and end up not winning the tournament. So they're very, very tricky things to navigate. But, uh, you know, you've got to look forward to those matches. And, and the future of these two great young women who have such confidence. I love Kaka. I can't get over what she said. I'm feeling good and I'm looking great. You know, that level of confidence, and it's just, it's just un, unedited and it's the way she feels, but it was so uh, infectious and, uh, and there was you know, a huge round of applause. Everybody agreed and she is looking great and she's playing great and she's got confidence and she brings a, you know, a real, uh, you know, that X factor she to the does game. and the women's game needs x factor because we've lost a lot of stars i've been to some coco press conferences she is so relaxed now we're not as relaxed as usual because we're a bit flat to start the day we all love the demon and you know what i see his australian open as a huge success and i'm just excited to watch what he does for the rest of the year but we did hear john millman like we're just learning how talented you are and how lucky we are to have you on this show. You've been singing, you've been dancing, you 
you're going back to study business. I mean, is there anything you can't do? Today, we even got some Spanish lessons, I think. Jay, it's hard to keep up. But I've heard you have a particular party trick that you do, and I'm really lucky that I have a professional commentator in Jay next to me. Your voice is silk. I believe you can do something with these lollies. John, what is it you're here to entertain us with? Well, I've only had to do it once other time on camera. I'm not normally uh, doing it at Sober, this time of day. I get it. So I've got all my excuses lined up, but... What are you going to do with I'm these? I'm fairly confident that I can tie a knot in my mouth with a snake. My tongue, I have to do a couple of little <laughs> tongue exercises. Yeah, okay, she's ready Have we even started? Grab us, Radio. I've got to give some background to this. Yeah, this is... I might yeah, how did this happen? This Why did this start? Which colour like do you choose? Oh, well... Oh, that's see, I don't know about the quality of Not this. up to scratch. Put well, it down. Well, look at the... See how it's, it's all not, cracked? It's not very knotty, yeah. Well, see how it's all cracked? It's slightly used. <laughs> oh, these are bloody... These are stale. Attention to detail. Stale snakes. Guys, you've given me... What is this? These are stale snakes. Oh, oh my oh. God! Is that one going to be okay? I'll still John? try to do it. Let's see. A good cut. Okay, I might just have to, to be turn clear. Off the microphone because it might make some really. No, weird do we need the microphone on though? Well, okay. No, I think we keep it on. But Can I move this JA, up? it is over to you now, John Alexander. He's set to do his best work, live commentary on the ABC. By the way, for all the action from the Australian Open, go to the ABC. Listen up. Press the tennis button. We promise you won't have to see anything like this. Is John Millman? warms up. It is over to our top commentator on the ABC Listen app. It's John Alexander. Over to you. Tell the listeners what we're about to view. On the world tour, it's not always glamour. There is long <laughs> hours of travel. There is a lot of waiting. You wait for a practice court. You wait for the match court. You wait for a good draw. You wait for the right doubles partner. There is a lot of time to burn. And some of the players, they read books. Yeah, I met one once. They do all sorts of things. One went and did sightseeing. Saw the Louvre. It was fantastic. But there's those who take other endeavours very seriously. And the world champion of snake twirling, which was I'm born scared. out of a fear of snakes, actually. And so to cure this, he had therapy and he took up snake twirling. So he can put the snake in his mouth Shall and tie a knot with it. This is yeah, the we snake built, we built twir it up. twirling <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. world champion. And it's into his mouth. There's two tails showing still outside of his mouth. It's not pretty, viewer. And his mouth is looking rather funny, like he's got a, 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 a mouth guard in his mouth. And, and, and in record time, in record time, in 7.3 second, 7.32 seconds, the greatest oh snake god. twirler How of was all it? time oh my god. has tied a knot. I mean, ladies and wow, gentlemen, I mean, you've seen Jovac, Novak Djokovic play tennis, Jovac Djokovic play tennis, but that pales into insignificance Jovac, what we've Jovac. seen on the Rod Laver Arena here in the Superbox. John, magnificent performance. How do you feel after that? Well... <laughs> I nearly got stitched up because they're giving me stale snakes to begin with. Did you feel you were going to choke at any time? <laughs> ABC is the public broadcaster, but come on. Let's we're saving our now. pennies. Oh, my goodness. We got them 50% off oh, in the I bargain bin. I can tell. That's from um, the reject shop, these these, uh, these snakes. Thank oh. goodness we came and got <laughs> some jellies that weren't as cracked. But, no, I felt pretty good. It was... Um, <laughs> Like said, it must be great confident. to be great. I mean, you should be more like like Novak or, you know. Well, if yeah. I ever have and, to do and, a press conference, right. Jay, about 
tying snakes in my mouth, I'll be arrogant. You know, yeah. I'll practice. Yeah. You know you're the best. Don't, it's hard to be humble when you're that Not good. many tennis players can do that. I have no words. John, you're just so multi-talented. Thank you for cheering us up because we were a little yeah. sad this morning. But now that I've got that image in my mind, that image of Alex Demon or crying on his bike is well and truly gone. So you've saved me from my own mind. John Millman. You're a legend. John Alexander, what a commentary performance. You can hear more of his work on the ABC Listen app. Go and press that tennis button. We will be back at the same time tomorrow. Thanks for listening.